Shabbat Shalom, everyone. The uh, star of the uh, Torah portion for this morning is unquestionably uh, the tale saga story of the 12 spies that enter into the land of Israel, but woven, pardon the pun, of course, uh, but woven into the story of, the, uh, of this morning are two other interesting ideas. One is the introduction of a custom that is well known amongst the people of Israel. It is in fact so ancient. We know that there were uh, remnants of these things found uh, by Yigal Yedin and his excavations of Masada. And that is the commandment to wear these uh, fringes, the tzitzit. Um, but we're not gonna talk about that. And then the other idea, fascinatingly, that emerges from the Torah portion for this morning is this small, very small story that appears to be um, maybe perhaps at best um, something that is uh, very uh, tangential. Um, and it's a story towards the very end of a individual, a man, who is discovered on Shabbat to be walking around and collecting pieces of wood, branches, ostensibly to use them to light fire on Shabbat. But it doesn't even go far as to say that. The term in Hebrew, ish mikoshesh etzim, a person who is wandering and collecting the things that have fallen off of the trees, the branches, the scrub wood, so to speak, on the floor of the earth. And so before we actually get to talk about that, I want to talk about the things that, have, that fell to the floor this week in the Jewish world. It's been a very exciting past few weeks, there's no question. Uh, but it seems to be, and I emphasize the word seem, uh, in the same manner as I was used the word if, and that is it seems to be Israel will be swearing in a government and thereby avoiding a fifth round of elections in approximately four years. Before we actually talk about the make of the government, we can appreciate perhaps for a moment the distinctive irony that is woven into all of this. And that is, these fourth elections would have never been necessary to have. And not only that, but these fourth elections would have never yielded as a result of the apparent ouster of the interim Prime Minister, that being Bibi Netanyahu, if Bibi Netanyahu himself had not blown up the previous government because he didn't want to, he didn't want to maintain the promise of a rotation agreement with his other coalition partner. He was supposed to step out as Prime Minister, allowing the Defense Minister, Benny Gantz, to step in to be Prime Minister for two years. He refused to let that happen through some really bizarre parliamentary tricks, blew up the government, believing that he would enter into a new set of elections and win a majority and thereby keeping the prime ministerial position for himself. And now, of course, here we are in June about to swear in apparently a new Israeli government and he will be a leader of one of the opposition parties and not the prime minister. To which we can only say the famous Yiddish expression, mentracht ungatlacht, that man plans... All the while, God laughs. Be careful what you plan for, because you have to assume on some level, it's not going to work out. <laughs> okay, so in Israel, we have, uh, apparently, we're on the cusp of swearing in a new government that for the first time in roughly 12 and a half years uh, will not feature Bibi Netanyahu as the prime minister. 
Um, who are the people behind the story of the current Israeli government about to be formed? And what is particularly novel or interesting about this? First and foremost, Israel has a parliamentary system like Canada does. It is different from Canada in that Canada has a Westminster style of parliamentary government, which means, we all know this, it's based on writings. You win a writing, you get a seat in the parliament. And Israel doesn't work like that. Israel's too small. So Israel works on what's called in Hebrew a achuz chasima, which is you have to have a certain potential, a certain percentage threshold of the electoral vote in order to gain a seat. And as you add on to that percentage, you get more and more seats. What's interesting about the current coalition that appears to be taking power in Israel, that the person who's going to be sitting as the prime minister, at least for the first part of the rotation agreement, is an individual named Naftali Bennett. Naftali Bennett's parents are Americans. They actually lived in Montreal for a number of years uh, before making Aliyah to Israel in the late 60s, early 70s. I know the story a little bit myself because years ago, not that many years ago actually, about seven years ago, um, and I'm not going to tell you how I ended up there. It's a whole story to itself. Um, but I ended up for a Shabbat, a weekend, in this organic, vegan, paleo um, kind of resort up north in Israel, run by a brother of a member. And um, he's kind of a rock star, this guy, because all these people in Israel who are like really sick and medicines don't help them, they go to him and they become healthy again. Any event, there were these uh, two Americans, somewhat elderly, and uh, weren't a lot of people at this place anyway, and we started talking, and they tell me the last name is Bennett, and then of course the question, so it was Naftali Bennett's parents, and we still exchange emails every one and so on. His mother's name is Myrna, his father's name is Jim, like it's a whole thing. So anyway, he's American, his English is actually quite excellent. What particularly made news a few weeks ago is that during some coalition discussions, uh, Bibi Netanyahu invited Naftali Bennett to come to talk about a potential coalition agreement, and it rocked the Israeli news world that their meeting was held in English. <laughs> they spoke English with each other, because as you know, Bibi Netanyahu essentially grew up in his formative years outside of Philadelphia, where his father had a uh, professorship uh, uh, just in that area, I think at Chapel Hill. So um, first of all, Naftali Bennett is going to be the first sitting uh, in this rotation agreement. He only won seven seats in the Knesset out of 120 seats in the Knesset. The person who won the second most seats in the Knesset after Netanyahu's Likud party is the actual kingmaker of this entire new government. He is an Israeli politician by the name of Yair Lapid. Yair Lapid, since 2012, has run a centrist, slightly left, but let's say centrist party in Israel called Yesh Atid, translated into English as, there is a future. Um, Yair Lapid himself is the child of a former ministerial position holder, a government office holder and politician. His father's name was Tomi Lapid, Lapid excuse me, who was a Hungarian Holocaust survivor. Um, he had been a finance minister in a number of governments, amongst other positions that he held. So clearly, not only does he have politics in his blood, but he understands the oeuvre, the genre of politics. The real, 
the real kingmaker, as I said in this entire story, is Lapid because, because he has 17 seats that he won in the past election, rightly you would think that he would be the next in line to be sitting in the prime ministerial role. But he moved to the side in the hope of creating, cobbling together this coalition government to oust Netanyahu. And in doing so, he gave Naftali Bennett the right to sit in the prime minister's office at the very beginning of this rotation. I think it's poor, I believe, it's for a year and a half. So what's some interesting things about potentially this government can hold? First of all, Naftali Bennett may be, as some characterize, um, as more right-wing than Bibi Netanyahu. If you've read some of the, uh, the Western media reports, particularly the New York Times, they've repeated that many, many times over. While that may very well be true, in no way, shape, or form is he ever going to be able to exercise, perhaps, any of the ideological dreams and wishes that he may, he may in fact have, which is, amongst others, Annex, annexing part of the West Bank, it's not going to happen. Won't happen. But what's interesting is, is that he was willing to give up on a number of these ideological beliefs and wishes in the hope of averting another set of elections and giving Israel some stability. The other thing that emerges out of this is as I said to you before, Yair Lapid has proven himself to be a remarkable politician. <laughs> he really is the power behind this entire government because, once again, he holds 17 seats. And um, he has shown himself to have remarkable abilities of bringing people, of course, a very wide spectrum on the, on the political scene. People from the very far left, both Avodah and Meretz, people on the very far right, Yamina Naftali Bennett's party, Gidon Saar's party, Avigdor Lieberman's party, and he's managed to bring all these people together and cobble a government where everyone is very interested in seeing to it that it is stable and stands for quite a long time. But all that pales in comparison to perhaps this fact. And that is for the first time in Israeli history. And yes, I agree, Israel's history isn't that long, but it is turbulent and powerful without question. But for the first time in Israel's history, you have a sitting coalition government that as one of its signed partners is an Arab party. What's remarkable in this, and for the record, Ra'am, the Arab party, it's not a left-wing Arab party, it's a very conservative Arab party. What's interesting is that by having Ra'am, this conservative Arab party, sign on to the current Israeli government, you have to widely except the fact that it represents a rejection of Palestinian refugee politics. Which is to say that, that by their participating in a government that is a Zionist government in a Jewish state in Israel, they are embracing and using the democratic system to their own benefit, but they are partners in that. They aren't standing to the sideline and just being critics, but they're engaging and representing themselves as a dynamic part of the political process of the party. And that is something that despite all, all the craziness that certainly was around in the news world over the past month surrounding Israel and Arabs, and certainly Arabs internally in Israel, 
It represents a dramatic sea change, and that's a wonderful thing. In addition to that, some of the things that Ram, this party, sought as concessions in order to gain the government, listen to these, some of these things. One of them was the uh, pausing of the covenants law. Covenants law in Israel is basically buildings that were built illegally without permits that the government could cut them down. It, um, invariably, this generally ended up hurting Arab villages because they always build things. If you've ever been to an Arab village, huh, they often build things and they never use a permit. So it gives a little bit of stability for the Arab villages. The, the law hasn't been taken off the books, but it, it's been paused. And a 50 billion shekel investment in infrastructures around Arab villages, Arab towns, schools for Arab students, and uh, not the least of which, which is really high on the Arab wish list, is increased law enforcement in Arab towns and villages. And so these are very, uh, their requests aren't political per se, they're really quality of life things that they're trying to address for the Arab citizens. In short, I don't know if, uh, how long this government is going to stand for. It seems to me, because everyone is kind of uh, um, this ragtag coalition of parties, um, all of them have a deep vested interest in ensuring and seeing to it that this government lasts for as long as possible, because each of these parties on their own would be very distant from the halls of political power otherwise. So what I want to say is this. I began with a story about Ish Mikoshesh Etzim, the man who collects the little pieces of wood that fall to the ground on Shabbat. The Torah tells us the story that because this activity is forbidden on Shabbat, the Torah tells us a really bizarre story that when the children of Israel hear that one of their own is out and about on Shabbat collecting firewood, that they stone him to death as a punishment for violating the Sabbath. Before I go on a little bit further, let me just say, this is an important point. This is a story. <laughs> it's meant to create a lesson. It's not history, okay? So as a punishment for violating the Sabbath, they put him to death. The ancient rabbi saw a connection of this story of this man who in the Sabbath arbitrarily seems to go outside and start collecting firewood to the story of the spies, those spies who go out to reconnoiter and spy in the promised land, come back and bring 10 of the 12, bring this damning report about the land, saying to them, this is not a land that you can live in, that the people, the Canaanites who live in this land are huge and they're powerful and the land itself doesn't feed you. That the land, it actually consumes the people who live there. And this fiery, mythical, damning report, which churns up all of the fears they have of their own insecurities, that generation is damned to wander the desert for 40 years. And it is only their children who will cross the Jordan into the new promised land. And the ancient rabbi saw a connection between the story of this man going around and collecting firewood on Shabbat and the heartbreaking story of the spies. And what's the connection? The connection was that after the spies came back, brought the report, 
and then they were condemned to wander the desert for 40 years. That this man had become so broken of spirit, he had lost so much faith that he said, none of it matters anymore. Judaism, tradition, faith, none of it matters. I'm not going to observe Shabbat. I'm not going to maintain my Jewish identity. I'm going to go out and collect firewood. And the story is meant to convey to us the idea that sometimes when things seem their bleakest is the very moment when we are charged to hold on to our faith even, even firmer because of the undying belief that the better will come. And we know that it will. As Emerson wrote many thousands of years later, Emerson pointed out by asking a question, he said, who is a hero? And Emerson answers his own question by saying a hero is someone who holds on for just a few minutes more. As we've turned the page on a lot of turbulent history over the past few weeks in Israel, as a new government is about to be seated, about to be seated and sworn in, the reward for us holding on a little bit more, I think, is clear. And God willing, we will all be blessed not only with a safe, healthy summer, but God willing, a happy and good summer for us, the state of Israel, and everyone throughout the world. Shabbat Shalom.